Quinn and I have been talking about it, and um, the term dying in paradise seems sort of right <laughs> uh, at times when you look around and you're in this, like, amazingly beautiful place and you've, like, you know, been here for a long time and it's, it's like, perfection, yet, you're, yet there's, like, some sense of disconnection happening when you're going through confusing shit or whatever. But, um... Never. Yeah, so... <laughs> It's not necessarily the theme of the evening, but it was the title, so um, there might be some hints of, of that in these following poems. <clears throat> Time starts to stretch, and you're left unsure where you are or where you started. Was that just last year, she asked fain with a wine glass, and you wonder yourself the same damn thing. What is age but the natural process of dying? So hypothetical, so physical, unignorable, except by those who'd rather not die while living. Time feels like a shoelace, a schoolyard knot you learn to tie on your knees, the, the bully that spits on your shoes and makes them shine. Seeing your reflection in a frozen pond, a false sense of security, patient but withheld, gibberish mispronounced, a joke in a film that you heard in life, which came first. Never letting these stanzas go too long for fear of corpulence, eating a pizza all by yourself on Thursday night alone. Time is the fire in which we burn, Soren says, or merely a companion that joins us along the way. Living in Ojai and stuff like that, you get a lot of exposure to um, Hollywood. And so we've had people that have come to the farm and shot things on the farm for various products. Um, I have gone places and driven ATVs and done different things for these people. Um, and in that, um, you kind of see this other world. You know, it's this, this um, it takes a lot of, of work to set all the people up. Um, there's pitch meetings, there's production meetings, <clears throat> there's casting, costuming, catering, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and so lately, it seems to me that like the hottest movies in the world are um, beheadings. Um, ISIS has pretty much garnered every bit of media coverage, um, either online or offline or in traditional, um, news reporting. Um, and it seems to me that they always describe these things. I haven't watched the videos. That's what everyone says. You know, like I only read the articles in Playboy or whatever. Um, but I really haven't watched the videos, but I get a sense, you know, of like what's going on. And when it's reported to me, they always discuss things like it's very sophisticated camera work or, um, you know, the latest or they proffer like um, the new hit beheader like Jihadi John or uh, they give, you know, they give these characters names. They they've elevated individuals to um, star status 
uh, to a degree. Um, and it's not accidental. I mean, these, these are not like shoddily uh, made iPhone videos of things like that happening. I mean, there are people in multiple camera angles. Um, it's edited. Um, it's distributed in like a, a really formal way. And uh, as like I, I think about that, it like it scares me. You know, it scares me and it like it horrifies me, you know, like as just being another human and um, and uh, I'm scared of these people, even though, you know, it's like it's not that many people they've beheaded and stuff like that. But it, it's like a specter of of um, fear, you know, uh, the latest specter of fear. Um, but I also think about like. So. It's this sophisticated. So there's a bunch of jihadis in a yurt and they're having a pitch meeting. Like these are the logistics of what we're talking about is that it's a group of people, whatever their belief patterns are, whatever they've eaten, whoever they're angry at. There's fucking six people in a room talking about whether we're going to cut this dude's head off or we're going to throw this gay person off of a building and then stone them to death. Or we're going to march 20 people down to an ocean and cut their heads until the water's red. I mean, there's six fucking people in a room. It's like, that's a great idea, dude. You know, somebody write that fucking shit down. Who are we going to get to direct this? Who's the assistant director? I mean, these are the, I mean, it's not like it's one motherfucker. It's like, you got to have eight people with a camera and lighting. And there is someone making sure that these black garbs that they're wearing don't have sand on them. They're walking around in fucking dirty. I mean, it's like, you know, and, and then like, there's the day of the shoot. And it's like, a, today looks like a good day for it. You know, we got everyone all set up, you know, and, and they're calling each other. I mean, really, like when you think about like the raw logistics of of people going through this, it both is like horrifying. And at the same time, it's humiliating for them like this is all fucking day you know it's like hey man you know i think you know do we have the cage set up right does the lighting seem all right people are talking on their fucking walkie talkies and saying like does you know how do you guys like it there must be a dry run right you set up all those fucking cameras and stuff and you got all this money behind it and the catering and the tents up and the jenny going like, if you've really ever been to a fucking shoot, that's what it looks like. Whether you're selling Honda or, you know, Roundup or whatever it is. There's a million fucking people running around with clipboards and figuring this out. And they eat at a certain fucking time. If you've ever been on a shoot, that's for goddamn sure. Everyone runs to the fucking catering truck when it's fucking lunchtime. And that's happening. And then after the shoot, they're just like, this is, that was, fuck, you killed it, dude. Jihadi, I've never seen you read so well. You know, and then afterwards, what you like network for the next like bitchin beheading film. You're like, you know what? The dude, the lighting guy on the last one fucking tits. That dude knows his shit. He's got a gaffer that's fucking great. I mean, the whole thing was top notch. And then kind of inevitably like someone starts feeling really, really important in this group. 
and it may not be like the cat that started all the videos. It could be that they've developed this element of talent that's actually greater than their whole scare tactic. And this cat's in like some kind of contract holdout now, or the film crew starts to unionize. And perhaps it's like ego that eventually destroys this movement that, that people get built up to such a degree that they are the real light. And who gives a fuck about Muhammad or Jesus? I just want to see Jihadi John one more time and like that fucking YouTube video. I'm so tired right now. I should have woken up the last time my eyes were open. Regret. I should be better. I shouldn't regret. I try so hard. I love so little. Please stop repeating themes in your life. I want to know why they move like they do. So slow, precise, and intentioned. Like everything they touch will break apart if given a false caress. It makes me want to elope to the mountains of Kyoto, wear those silly gowns and sip tea behind walls lit by paper lanterns, only bamboo threatening my height. Seriously, the stereotypes are quite appealing, as are most vast oversimplifications wrought with worry. What then will I do? Find myself bored in minutes? No spiritual core, no secret way of being. Just the idea that everything could explode at any minute. At any second, emptiness could enter you. So let's make it seem slightly more graceful than it is. He meows for her in the day, all through the night. He won't stop. He won't rest. Till she settles her eyes too. Only then can he sleep. Only then can he be warm. Only then can he rest, knowing the girl is loved. Kitty. You are in my house, picture form, just as I left you just as I saw you, in everything you stand, a cup, your unseen birthday presence, an unseen poem of admiration, as the walls become plain, I become whole. I was trying to memorize this piece, but I'm so bad with memorization. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for people to forget? I've just noticed that there's so much forgetfulness, and I forget, and I ask myself, 
why? Why are we so forgetful? And I came to the realization that I think it's this nation, this nation of forgive and forget, this nation so focused on profit and politics, this nation creating the eradication of love, this nation is good at forgetting. A nation wanting to forget its history, but what about her story? What about his story? Forgetting the forgetful nation that bred slavery, racism, wanting to forget the history of giving the helpful Indians poisonous blankets, dropping bombs on Hiroshima, whipping brown bats and watching them swing from trees, creating legacy admissions to keep away the Jews. Oh, Jesus, I'd want to forget too. They say history repeats itself, but that is because we choose to remember the face of ignorance too, disassociate ourselves from the white bastards that began this shit but still choosing to reap the benefits, blind to the effect of the lack of our affection and growing an infection of hate, not knowing that the intention is to recreate an apathetic, forgetful nation. I refuse to allow this nation to be in control of my creation. My relation will be to the generation that fucking remembers our history, not one of apathy breeding ignorance, but one of education. That is the nation that deserves the ovation, not the one named America, full of oppression, sexism, patriotism, taught to remember the Pledge of Allegiance while encouraged to forget our allegiance to this world, the sun, nature, our sisters and brothers. Encouraged to remember the history taught in textbooks written on the white pages and the black ink that bleeds with pain because it's telling lies. It's forgetting. I have a problem with what this nation has taught me. Eating its food, crumbs of its processed cruelty, making products that are easier, making memories that are easier, never making apologies and reparations, but fueling the incineration of the tolerization of difference. People have forgotten tolerance, and I cannot tolerate my lack of memor memorization. I became awake to the fact of this lack of an infection, but one we have the vaccination for. I cry out to the population that chooses to remember so that we do not repeat what the men before us have done. Pay attention. That's what my daddy used to tell me. Now I realize I just needed encouragement to get motivation to come to the realization of my dreams. I cry and I cry and I cry, but I will no longer forget. You may not like what I have to say, but that is because you do not like the truth that so many remember. So many carrying the scars in sweatshops around the nation, in sex trades around the nation, the effects of our globalization, the fucking chocolate that we eat that's causing pain and frustration in the mind that sits on the bleeding back of a man beaten into submission. So many scars created by our lack of memorization. What would you have me do? Keep quiet? Bury my head in the sand? Be a part of your womanizing nation? Well, why don't you do what you do best and forget it? Because I will no longer be silent. There's a special kind of loneliness that belongs to seekers. A precious sort of displacement that aches in the child who wanted more. A dappled shadow on the castaways, filtered light obscured. A not so welcome in the family, a not so appropriate in the culture, displaced and punished. And the story that stems from this longing is one that seems without and the seeker quests eternally, tracing steps back to the beginning, 
Beyond the edge of the woods, secret chambers, locked doors, caverns and coves descending, looking for a heart. Warm, weary, weary bones. Love, deliver me, take me home. Wrap me in fine linens, bring the broth to my lips, and remind me that I am your child. Cradle me in confirmation. I can never leave you, for you exist in every tattered story. Forgive me for believing that there was no place for me. It is live evolution, like watching science unfold, unfold before our very pocket contents of furry friends. Do they still want it? Will we survive the overtaking realm of fish feet? Will we produce cuddles and petting of furry friends? Will we realize that catching of these creatures, i.e. communicating with human voice and running, speed varies and fluff of tail observations. I ran after a Kit Kat last night trying to catch it for my own desires. The common mistake of these evolving kitties is that they may not want to be caught and petted and called tiger plus cookie pockets. However, I have then observed and documented that a shift in the size of such creatures of claws and fur shall then be given scraps of terribly delicious tuna, be right back, BRB pockets, snacks. And then once said, friend of universe and unproven yet believed aliens across many galactic applications thrown downtown with crusts of delicious humanity pizza, then we will know, then we will feel, then we will see that everybody deserves pockets of tuna, be right back for capturing such amazing Speaker of a friend, pal, self-relaxer, vomit-inducing, eyes-watering, skin-itching, sonics of jet-ski motor throttles of wet kittens. Don't always like the bath. Yet we have to, <laughs> we have learned in order to pocket these wonderful, inspiring teasers of such believable cuteness. I hereby proclaim that I shall discover the Los Angeles creeper that lurks in the ditches of science. Hence the boots with tight lace, the cargo shorts that utilitize, ut that can hold utilities of storage of tuna be right back pockets. This is not a catch and release issue of love. This is catch and treasure these creatures. Let us pray. Dear tuna pockets, BRB, and 100 fish feet, may our butterfly nets that have been modulated for catching such that have the blessings of the supreme archer that would possibly use tuna brb arrow of love shot through the target of kitten possession may we have dictionaries and digital encyclopedias to discover tiny cameras of a billion view cuteness laid upon our meows of years and joy and delight i pray that i will squeeze your stink breath and pet your fur until my fingers are ingrained 
Amen. She expressed her calling by not showing up sometimes, and by running out of gas on purpose, and by remembering to forget to pay that bill. She expressed her calling by not saying yes to all the good ideas everyone had on her behalf, or taking a job where she could make money. She expressed her calling by sleeping too long, but not in bed. Or losing time in the wild, upset by questions like, do ants um, outlive common fleas? Why all the falling trees? Will I finally see a bear? Will a mountain lion become transfixed by my hair? She expressed her calling by eating two more pieces of double sugar chocolate cake and three more handfuls of GMO goldfish crackers and one more glutinous bagel. Then is considered ladylike for a woman crowned by this valley's blushing mountainous gates of bucolic ambrosia neroli scented heaven. She expressed her calling by not underestimating heaven. She expressed her calling by crying any time she was misunderstood. She expressed her calling by laughing any time she forgot to cry. She expressed her calling by laughing at herself crying. She expressed her calling by talking in rainbows to make people feel lucky and worthy and wanted and wise. She expressed her calling by taking pictures of ants and fleas. She expressed her calling by talking to God about her knees, which had been humbled, and her needs, which grew more strong, and her dodgy little habit of not remembering, I don't know, anything she didn't really want to do, but also what she really, really wanted to do was to never not remember what she really wanted to do had nothing to do with doing. Rubbing your phone, Finn. Yeah. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> shit. Yeah. Shit. Holy shit. You shit like right. Is it okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, this is called Salvage. <clears throat> I lost my ladybug bead. It was life-sized and metallic and tied to a piece of red string in my hair. It must have fallen off somewhere on that wide gravel road. It was from someone close to me. We were apart. We had been friends and then lovers and then back to friends again. She tied it in my hair. She's the one who got me into all this. I copied her courageousness and then something just stuck. No one remembers anything about that bead. I never told her I lost it. I lost that bead on that long hike down the mountain in the dead winter night. It was probably 13, 15 miles, maybe even more, it could have even been 20. We had no choice but to keep going. We had stashed our gear before we left because we needed to stay nimble on the road. The logging company hired mom and pop security with dogs we had to evade. By the end, my feet were blistered. This was before I ever had a nice pair of hiking boots. It felt good to be moving though. My muscles had atrophied because I'd barely been standing. I spent the past week 80 feet up a tree on a 4x6 wooden platform suspended by rope and fancy rigging, eating, cooking, sleeping, and using the bathroom 80 feet up in the air. 
I saw the most glorious meteor on one of those nights. Its green streaks were so bright and large that I was afraid it was going to hit me. The loggers spotted me a couple of days into my sit when they were surveying the unit to log it, and then they called the cops. And when they arrived, they found my friend on the ground and chased after her and arrested her. As they dragged her off, she was screaming poetry about the forest that I can't quite recall. She was also crying. I was sad to watch this from afar. The cops told me all my friends were gone and the forest is closed and no one can reach me. I'm all alone up in the mountains here. I don't have enough food to survive. I was thinking, fuck you, but I didn't say anything. I put on my bandana over my face and started taking pictures of them with my yellow disposable camera. When I got the pictures back, everyone looked like little specks of dust. <laughs> they said it's windy and dangerous and your tree will blow over in a windstorm. I said nothing. They eventually gave up. They actually left. Later that day, the head of the timber company came to talk with me. The tree was on a slope, and at the top of the slope was another road, so he approached me from that direction and scaled down the hill to the point where we were more or less eye to eye. I said something about a forest having the right to exist. He called me a communist. It, it, it felt cordial to me. But, but I later heard him saying, I think he's being ridiculous. His buddies are back in town having pizza and beer, and he's stuck up in a tree. That winter, I learned a lot about the importance of dead trees and their role in a forest ecosystem. Those trees build soil, and their snags become habitat for all sorts of wildlife. If they are cleared, it actually increases the risk of forest fires. Brush and treetops fall to the ground, and the smaller stuff always goes up in flames faster. The mountains also erode with a denuded forest floor. What looks like chaos and a cleanup operation to one set of humans is nature doing its thing to another. Building soil slowly, regenerating for the next wave of fire. The next morning at dusk, the cops and loggers came back. They came to do what none of us expected, log the forest in spite of my presence. All day, I listened to a cacophony of nearby chainsaws from my perch and watched one tree after another come crashing down around me. The crashing seemed time-delayed as if it broke some sound barrier. The treetops shattered as they fell. I was kind of spellbound, not quite sad, not exactly traumatized. Maybe kind of like that guy in American Beauty who wistfully filmed a plastic bag in the wind or stared at a bloody dead Lester Burnham. The cops came back the next day this time with a reporter from the Los Angeles Times who was writing a story about the largest timber sale in modern history and wanted to ask me questions. I shouted my answers down to him. It had already been weeks of trying to prevent logging trucks from crossing the river. Most of that action was centered on the bridge, the only point of access that the loggers had to the timber units. It started with an old woman staring in a sitting in a lawn chair on the, brisk, uh, on the bridge at dusk. She stopped the trucks until the police carried her off. There was a lot of that civil disobedience stuff, people sitting down and waiting to be arrested and the media writing about it. That was just the beginning, though. The, tactic, the tactics escalated. 
blockades, locking down to the uh, dead cars we parked in the road, locking down to logging trucks themselves once we got them to stop. I learned about the pain compliance tactics police use, how they lightly tap a sensitive area over and over again until the person releases their grip on that steel tube that locks them down. I watched one friend dive across the police line as they dragged off his partner and then they got him. In the end, it all amounted to a slowdown. Each day, the police were able to dismantle the barriers, arrest the protesters, and the loggers were on their way before noon. By now, 60 or so people, many of my friends, had been arrested. The LA Times article later read, Most have been charged with interference with an agricultural operation, a state misdemeanor, and released. The young man managed to avoid the legal fate of several fellow protesters, most of them women. He climbed down the tree sometime after sundown. He has not been apprehended. After the reporter and cops and loggers cleared away for the day, one person remained. A forest ranger who was left behind to survey the possibility of my tree being down by inclement weather. He introduced himself to me. His name was Jerry, a Uruk Indian who told me he believed in what I was doing. He confided his own tribe's environmental and economic struggles. They went all Indian casino to make money to survive. He said that he understood the struggle and supported it. He offered to give me a ride down the hill and drop me off, no strings attached. I thanked him, but said no thanks. I'll stay right here. He raised his fist in the air, hopped in his forest ranger pickup and drove away. Jerry was gone. The damage was done. The forest was done. I felt like Captain Kirk in the Kobayashi Maru or no win scenario. Of course, he said he never believed in the no-win scenario. So I had one trick up my sleeve. The cops thought I was alone the whole time, but I wasn't. There's two of my friends on the ground. They never found, and they had been there the entire time hiding. After dark, they approached and we exchanged written notes that I pulled up and down the tree rope. We agreed that it was time to descend. The forest was closed. We had no contact on the ground and our supplies were finally diminishing. So I cleared that sit of whatever I could and descended down the line and landed on the ground and we bailed. As we crossed the bridge back to our relocated base camp, I recalled my months long recurrent thought. If we wanted to stop this timber sale, we should blow up the bridge. <laughs> that would have ended things in one fell swoop. No bridge, no access. But no one was brave enough to be labeled a terrorist and hunted and spend years and years in prison. So the protests played out in a hackneyed fashion. More blockades, more arrests, more media coverage, more logging. On that long hike down the road, I had never felt so sad and alive at the same time. And that was the end for me. The day I lost my ladybug bead. Okay, now it's time for my reading. I, this, I, this is where I keep my notes, just because I, this is not, I, I, somebody suggested like, oh, do you have anything you could read even somebody else's work? So I am gonna read somebody else's work. And there are three jokes that I heard the other day. They, I, I did not make them up, but I, they were spontaneous, so they happened. Uh, there was like, a, it was like a four-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. So here's the jokes. This is just, thank you all for, you know, thanks for having me and everything. I just 
close these jokes. Why did why did the eyeball cross the road? To get eaten by a cow. We got another one, same same boy. Once there was a flower going to a pond. Never mind, duck ate it. <laughs> then the then the girl, uh, there was like a four-year-old girl, and she she's like, you know, I got I got one too now. <clears throat> Why did the flower ride a car? Cause it wanted to go to the poop swamp. Poop swamp, yeah. So I mean, so anyway, uh, that's that was my reading for tonight. So you know, thanks for thank you. getting in the habit of keeping things to myself. To save others, I think, but possibly to save myself from the embarrassment of telling the truth, which little can handle, unadulterated by flowery words and gentle letdowns, especially those truths which really are merely self-truths, self-righteous plots of logic harvested by our natural sense of surviving. Our arms flail when we fall in water. It's too simple, so simple one way up and one way down. <laughs>